Murray on the way. Good. Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am your lifelong Cavalier fan host, Bob Schmidt, and this was a wonderful evening. An evening that saw the Cavaliers heading to Brooklyn to take on the Nets, the first of two consecutive games. I've got a lot of stuff in store for you in these two consecutive games. The return of a guest, and a guest I'm very excited about. But I wanted to break this podcast up because I didn't want to delay reacting to the game. So what you're going to see from the Fear of the Fro podcast is as follows. This will be on the shorter end of podcasts. We're going to talk about the game and what we witnessed last night, and then I will be back. I'll probably drop another podcast that is Nets-related, Eastern Conference-related, NBA-related with a special guest tomorrow morning, Thursday morning. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to go back-to-back before this second Brooklyn Nets game. But let's get into what we saw this evening, because in addition to a victory, which put the Cavaliers ahead of the New York Knicks for the fourth seed, by three and a half games, upping their probability of retaining that fourth seed to 88.8%, according to basketballreference.com. And the Knicks looking ever more likely to be the Cavaliers' first round opponent. Now, we could debate what is best for the Cavaliers. Yes, after witnessing this Nets game, a game in which the Cavaliers led by a full 24 points before kind of taking their foot off the gas, getting outscored by 10 in the fourth quarter. But Watching this game, it would be hard to walk away and say, I don't want to take on the Nets. But I will say this. The Cavaliers are going to have to go through some juggernauts above them. Despite And, the, and that's echoed by the records. The fact that the Cavaliers have the fifth best record in the NBA, but the fourth best record in the Eastern Conference, it will not be a cakewalk. And in all likelihood, at some point, the Cavaliers will be dismissed from the playoffs. I am hoping that we make it at least to the second round in a competitive series that stretches it out. I want a resilient Cavs team that fights, and if they bow out in the second round, well, then I hope it is a six- or seven-game series. In the first round, I understand the logic behind wanting to take on the Brooklyn Nets. I think, based on what we've seen on the court so far this season, most Cavalier fans would prefer that to the Knicks or the Heat, who have played the Cavaliers tough. But for narrative purposes, I have to say, I kind of prefer the Knicks. And I don't think it matters what I prefer anyway, because it's looking more and more likely with now the Knicks sitting two wins and one loss ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, with the Nets again having to take on us and the Heat having a crack at the Knicks today, later on today when you hear this. I'm saying this assuming that you're listening to this on Wednesday. and then. The Heat hosting the Nets on Saturday, that is a lot of battling between the 4th, 5th, and 6th seed. No, no, 5th, 6th, and 7th seed. Sorry, I'm screwing this up. We're the 4th seed, but we're battling some of these teams too. We take on the Nets again, so we'll have a say in who lands where. I think for the sake of the viewers, the best outcome is sort of the one that's already in place now because... If it was to end today, the Celtics in the two seed would be taking on the Heat. Two teams linked by a bunch of history, a bunch of salty 08 Celtics when Ray Allen joined a superior LeBron James. 
playoff battles. A tough defense. If anyone can slow the Celtics, the Heat, certainly a stout defensive team that hopefully could give them some trouble and make them fight their way out of the first round. Then you would have the Sixers and the Nets. I don't even need to explain that. Harden, Ben Simmons, just a lot of hatred between the two fan bases after especially, well, more so from the Nets towards the 76ers as they got that Ben Simmons contract dumped upon them. And then, of course, Donovan Mitchell, the Cavs, the Knicks, the trade that didn't happen, the trade that did, it would be thrilling. And just from the standpoint of a little bit of adversity will help in the first round. I don't want to roll into a second round matchup with a juggernaut, a, a Bucks team or a Celtics or a Sixers who are surging and have steamrolled through a team in the first round. I want there to be some battling involved so that these guys are sharp. I don't want these guys coming in and just getting their doors kicked in in the first quarter or game one or the first two games at home for one of these other teams. And the Knicks, they're going to give the Cavs a battle, especially with Brunson back in the mix. That is not a team I would expect to lay down. And I know we've lost two games of the three to them, but one of those easily could have gone the other way if not for a uncalled Hartenstein last two-minute report play and eight three-pointers from Julius Randle. Just an unbelievable shot. But the Cavs have been very successful in slowing Brunson, and and I kind of want the challenge, honestly. I think it would be a very dramatic series. And if, God forbid, the worst were to play out, the Cavaliers were to draw the Knicks in the first round and then lose to them, well, I would say it to you like this, that my my feeling on losing earlier rather than late is no, I never want to do it. But if you can't get by a first round opponent, then you certainly weren't going to get by anybody in the second round. And a loss is a loss is a loss. So yeah, for the easiest path, the Nets. For the most enjoyable path, beating the Knicks. I think we can all agree that fan base getting humbled is always a good time. So let's hope that that plays out and that I'm not eating my words later on. So, to the game today, the Nets fell to the Cavaliers, and this was a far different outcome and a far different team from the one that defeated the Cavs back in December, the day after Christmas, during a month in which the Nets went 12-1. and Oh my, does that seem a long time ago. A different team, a different core, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, now both in different places, Kyrie dragging the Mavericks into the depths of hell, Losing more than anybody expected. Well, maybe not more than anybody expected, but losing more than I think most predicted would happen. And Kevin Durant, of course, sidelined with that injury, but doesn't matter. The Suns are good enough. Currently the fourth seed in the West. So I think they'll be fine. But now, since February 1st, the month of February, the Nets went three and eight. This month, after the loss tonight, they are now five and six. This is a team finding their way. I don't want to pile on the Nets. One, because I don't want to have to answer for what I'm saying here when I have my Nets-related guest on. But secondly, because I think we can all look at that roster and say, while it has a lot of talent, it has a lot of length, it has a lot of solid defenders, it doesn't necessarily have a cohesive offense. Spencer Dinwiddie, who has been there before, who played with the Levert, Jared Allen iteration and has been in two other places since then, leaving for the Wizards, getting traded to the Mavericks, and then landing here. And now he's essentially tasked with being the primary creator for this Nets team, who, while not devoid of talent, it doesn't look, it looks like a lot of taking turns out there, or at least it did tonight. And Spencer has 
acquitted himself well. Five of his last six games, he's had double-digit assist games, and including a 16-assist performance in that victory over the Denver Nuggets back on the 12th. Sadly, the opposite end of this critique is that his three-point shooting has been atrocious. He's shooting just 26% this month from outside the arc. Now to Mikhail Bridges, the centerpiece of that Kevin Durant trade. Since joining, the Nets has been averaging 26 points a game, shooting nearly 50-44-90 splits. Let that sink in. 50-44-90. Incredible efficiency, and he's a primary option too. This is not a guy who's a dead-eye marksman because attention is pulled elsewhere. He's the one that people know is going to be looking to score, and he's still been this reliable. And it's crazy to see Mikhail Bridges out there because obviously so much attention has been paid to what a disaster the James Harden for Ben Simmons trade has resulted in for the Brooklyn Nets. But it is also every time I see the Nets now, I'm going to think about how Mikhail Bridges could have been a Philadelphia 76er, but they dumped him for Zaire Smith, who's out of the league, and Trey Mann, who's in Oklahoma City, two guys who aren't on the Sixers roster. Now they have bungled some draft day decisions to trade picks or positions. Obviously, the most notable being the Folds for Jason Tatum swap, but that Mikael Bridges one, seeing what he's doing with the Nets, it does make you wonder what if. He's had 25-point games left and right. Over the course of his career, he has scored 25 points or more 24 times. Eight of those have come since February 15th, since All-Star break. Eight of those So one-third of his 25-point games have come just since joining the Nets. He's come in as the showcased scorer on that team. And while he may not be the focal point of that team when it reaches its apex, he is proving to be a very viable second option in all likelihood. However, the Nets just simply aren't a very good team comparatively to the one we saw in December. So there's no doubt that they would be a good first round matchup in terms of we keep talking about process and learning to play amongst guys and, and going through these growing pains where we take our foot off the gap. Things like you see tonight where at one moment we look unstoppable. The second quarter, Evan Mobley, he drops 13 points. And then the rest of the game, he scores four, including a goose egg in the fourth quarter. Inconsistency definitely is something you see more frequently with teams that are younger. With the Nets, they have not played together. They have no continuity. And coming in tonight, I thought they played pretty good in the first quarter. They obviously ended up, that that was when they had the lead. It evaporated in the second quarter. In the third quarter, the Cavaliers just throttled them until the end of the third quarter. But in that first quarter, a lot of it was due to the fact that two things were happening that did not sustain. One of them was that they were turning the Cavs over. The Cavaliers, it took them a little bit of time to adjust to the length, and that was both on Mitchell and Garland. As both guys managed to get passes tipped, passing lanes jumped, and it wasn't just the turnovers. It was the fact that they were throwing them away in the backcourt or beyond the three-point line so that when they did get tipped and when they did get stolen, the Nets were already on their way to getting out in transition. So that coupled with some solid shooting, a good quarter from their starting center, Nick Claxton did not miss a shot, had seven points and five boards just in the first quarter. That was enough for them to open up the lead. But five turnovers is something I have praised Darius Garland, just even on recent podcasts about how good he's been with protecting the ball. 
And it was night and day different between the first quarter and the second quarter as they reined in the turnovers and they increased the assists. After just two assists in the first quarter, the Cavaliers started moving the ball in the second and it unlocked everything. Now, Donovan Mitchell came right out of the gates in the second quarter on fire and the Cavs ripped off a 10 to two run. It was punctuated by back-to-back triples from Donovan, but it wasn't just Mitchell because Jetty Osmond showed up, got into the game in the second quarter and proceeded to make every one of his three-point attempts. Nine points in the second quarter, but that's not all. The shooting, we have seen some incredible Osmond shooting games over the course of the season. The one that obviously comes to mind is against the Clippers, where he was seven for seven from outside the arc to begin the game. But this wasn't just scoring. He was chipping in. He was coming back and crashing the defensive glass. He found guys with assists. We even saw an Osmond block later in the game. He stuffed someone. That doesn't happen. He was coming back to crash the glass in a way that we really haven't seen him do a ton of. Lowry was great at that last season, helping the bigs, because the bigs had their hands full. Between Claxton and De'Ron Sharp, who had a career game, a 2010 game for him. This tied his career high. He scored 20 points three times, but he did it tonight in just 20 minutes. And he scored 10 points in the first half in something like six minutes. The guy, he had one of those backup big games that's reminiscent of Big Dick Nick Richards over there in Charlotte, who seems to put up numbers every time he plays us this season. And who knows, maybe De'Ron Sharp will be that guy. And he had a great game. And he even knocked in a three, which turned this Cavaliers victory into a clutch victory because it got it under the threshold of five points with less than five minutes to go. So good job by him. The Cavs now have a winning record in clutch, 21 and 20, thanks to De'Ron. So the bench thriving for the Nets, the bench looking fantastic for the Cavaliers. They chipped in 21 points in the first half on just nine shots. Most of that came from Osman and Lavert. Lavert had a big end of the first quarter where he kind of steadied the ship and he got the, the momentum moving in the right direction. And Lavert is becoming the guy who takes the shots at the end of the quarter. He hit another buzzer beater tonight. He did it last game and got fouled. He did it tonight in the third quarter, knocking in a three-pointer, which helped stop the bleeding as the Cavaliers let the Nets rip off a 14-3 run at the end of the third. But let's touch on that third quarter. The Cavaliers went into halftime with a six-point lead. I thought that the, the guards really tightened things up in the second quarter. And then by the time the third rolled around, we got to see Mitchell and Garland doing much of what we expected. They came out after halftime and instantly an 8-0 Cavs run. A Mitchell and one, a Garland and one. We were thriving. And those guards in that quarter combined for 18 points and shot seven of nine from the floor. At one point in the third, we were up by 24 and Jared Allen. Now we didn't get the goggles, but we got the return of the fro and we got to see him continue to do what he's done so well for the last three games. Another double digit rebound performance from him as he chipped in 14 rebounds, eight on the offensive end. You know how rare it is to, to get eight offensive rebounds and not even lead that category in the game. De'Ron Sharp had nine tonight, six in the fourth quarter, a quarter in which he had 10 points and seven rebounds. So he kind of muted a little bit of the party that I would be throwing for the fro otherwise, but I am stoked 
to have Allen back in the fold, and I thought he looked fantastic. Levert has kept the scoring going, another 18 points tonight, but two more steals as well. He's up over two steals a game over the past six, and he's shooting 50-50, 79 splits. If you get this Karis Levert, if you get this Osman, this is the type of bench production we need. And Rubio, he's not loud out there, but he's chipping in some buckets. He had six points in that first half. He was part of that 21-point bench effort in the first half that the Cavaliers saw tonight. So we won't talk about Okoro out there. He had a rough night, was defending, you know, like he does, but could not make a shot to save his life. And Stevens, very quiet tonight. Just a couple final points before I wrap this pod. For those of you who didn't get to see the Nets broadcast because you were watching the Cavs broadcast, Richard Jefferson came to the defense of the Cavaliers when Ian Eagle insinuated that perhaps the Cavalier defense is a paper tiger. Statistically, Cavaliers have the best defense in the league. Number one in defense efficiency. Why do you say statistically? (laughs) I mean, there's the eye test, there's the stats. Uh, Would you say they're the best defense in the NBA? Uh, Well, if if that's what the stats say. (laughs) Well, you're a stats guy now? Well, I'm just saying, look, the stats say, if the stats say that that somebody is leading the league in scoring, is, is there an eye test to that? Well, no, I would say, are they the best scorer in the NBA? So there's a difference. They're leading the league in defense. Are they the best defense in the NBA? That's legitimate. (laughs) You're just instigating with me, and I'm making a legitimate point. Love, RJ. And yes, the Cavs still are the best defense in the NBA, leading in defensive rating, leading in net rating, just barely over the Boston Celtics. And even though they let their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter and have now fallen to second place in fourth quarter net rating, to the Philadelphia 76ers, there's still time to make up ground as we barnstorm our way through the rest of this schedule, eclipsing 50 wins, locking up the fourth seed, and taking on whoever lands in five. Fuck them. Bring them all on. Another podcast coming tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Fear the Fro podcast. I'll be back with more. This is Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and thank you. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.